0: OF HUMAN BONDAGE BY WILLIAM SOMERSET Maugham, CHAPTER 36 SEGMENT 1 A few days later Philip went to London. The curate had recommended rooms in barns, and these Philip engaged by letter at fourteen shillings a week. He reached them in the evening, and the landlady, a funny little old woman with a shriveled body and a deeply wrinkled face, had prepared high tea for him. Most of the sitting room was taken up by the sideboard and a square table. Against one wall was a sofa covered with horsehair, and by the fireplace an armchair to match. There was a white antimacassar over the back of it, and on the seat, because the springs were broken, a hard cushion. After having his tea, he unpacked and arranged his books. Then he sat down and tried to read, but he was depressed. The silence in the street made him slightly uncomfortable, and he felt very much alone. Next day he got up early. He put on his tailcoat and the tall hat which he had worn at school, but it was very shabby, and he made up his mind to stop at the stores on the way to the office and buy a new one. When he had done this, he found himself in plenty of time, and so walked along the Strand. The office of Messrs. Herbert Carter and Company were in a little street off Chancery Lane, and he had to ask his way two or three times. He felt that people were staring at him a great deal, and once he took off his hat to see whether by chance the label had been left on. When he arrived, he knocked at the door, but no one answered, and looking at his watch, he found it was barely half past nine. He supposed it was too early, He went away, and ten minutes later returned to find an office boy with a long nose, pimply face, and a Scotch accent. Opening the door, Philip asked for Mr. Herbert Carter. He had not come yet. When will he be here? Between ten and half past. I'd better wait, said Philip. What are you wanting? asked the office boy. Philip was nervous, but tried to hide the fact by a jocose manner. "'Well, I'm going to work here if you have no objection.' "'Oh, you're the new articled clerk. "'You'd better come in. "'Mr. Goodworthy will be here in a while.' "'Philip walked in and, as he did, "'saw the office boy, he was about the same age as Philip "'and called himself a junior clerk, look at his foot. "'He flushed, and sitting down, hid it behind the other. "'He looked round the room. "'It was dark and very dingy. "'It was lit by a skylight.' There were three rows of desks, in it and against them, high stools. Over the chimney piece was a dirty engraving of a prize fight. Presently, a clerk came in, and then another. They glanced at Philip, and, in an undertone, asked the office boy. Philip found his name was MacDougall, who he was. A whistle blew, and MacDougall got up. End of segment one. CHAPTER 36, SEGMENT 2 Mr. Goodworthy's come. He's the managing clerk. Shall I tell him you're here? Yes, please, said Philip. The office boy went out and in a moment returned. Will you come this way? Philip followed him across the passage and was shown into a room, small and barely furnished, in which a little thin man was standing with his back to the fireplace. He was much below the middle height, but his large head, which seemed to hang loosely on his body, gave him an odd ungainliness. His features were wide and flattened, and he had prominent pale eyes. His thin hair was sandy. He wore whiskers which grew unevenly on his face, and in places where you would have expected the hair to grow thickly, there was no hair at all. His skin was pasty and yellow. He held out his hand to Philip, and when he smiled, showed badly decayed teeth. He spoke with a patronizing and, at the same time, a timid air, as though he sought to assume an importance which he did not feel. He said he hoped Philip would like the work. There was a good deal of drudgery about it, but when you got used to it, it was interesting. And one made money. That was the chief thing, wasn't it? He laughed with his odd mixture of superiority and shyness. "'Mr. Carter will be here presently,' he said. "'He's a little late on Monday morning sometimes.' "'I'll call you when he comes. "'In the meantime, I must give you something to do. "'Do you know anything about bookkeeping or accounts?' "'I'm afraid not,' answered Philip. "'I didn't suppose you would. "'They don't teach you things at school that are much use in business, I'm afraid.' "'He considered for a moment. "'I think I can find you something to do.' "'He went into the next room and, after a little while, "'came out with a large cardboard box.' It contained a vast number of letters in great disorder, and he told Philip to sort them out and arrange them alphabetically according to the names of the writers. I'll take you to the room in which the articles clerk generally sits. There's a very nice fellow in it. His name is Watson. He's the son of Watson, Cragg, and Thompson, you know, the Brewers. He's spending a year with us to learn business. Mr. Goodworthy led Philip through the dingy office, where now six or eight clerks were working, into a narrow room behind. It had been made into a separate apartment by a glass partition, and here they found Watson sitting back in a chair, reading the sportsman. He was a large, stout young man, elegantly dressed, and he looked up as Mr. Goodworthy entered. He asserted his position by calling the managing clerk Goodworthy, The managing clerk objected to the familiarity, and pointedly called him Mr. Watson. But Watson, instead of seeing that, it was a rebuke, accepted the title as a tribute to his gentlemanliness. I see they've scratched Rigoletto, he said to Philip, as soon as they were left alone. Have they? said Philip, who knew nothing about horse racing. End of segment two. CHAPTER 36, SEGMENT 3 He looked with awe upon Watson's beautiful clothes. His tailcoat fitted him perfectly, and there was a valuable pin artfully stuck in the middle of an enormous tie. On the chimney-piece rested his tall hat. It was saucy and bell-shaped and shiny. Philip felt himself very shabby. Watson began to talk of hunting. It was such an infernal bore having to waste one's time in an infernal office. He would only be able to hunt on Saturdays, and shooting. He had ripping invitations all over the country, and of course he had to refuse them. It was an infernal luck, but he wasn't going to put up with it long. He was only in this infernal hole for a year, and then he was going into the business, and he would hunt four days a week and get all the shooting there was. "'You've got five years of it, haven't you?' he said, waving his arm round the tiny room. "'I suppose so,' said Philip. "'I dare say I shall see something of you. Carter does our accounts, you know.' Philip was somewhat overpowered by the young gentleman's condescension. At Blackstable, they had always looked upon brewing with civil contempt. The vicar made little jokes about the beerage, and it was a surprising experience for Philip— to discover that Watson was such an important and magnificent fellow. He had been to Winchester and to Oxford, and his conversation impressed the fact upon one with frequency. When he discovered the details of Philip's education, his manner became more patronizing still. Of course, if one doesn't go to a public school, those sort of schools are the next best thing, aren't they? Philip asked about the other men in the office. Oh, I don't bother about them much, you know. "'said Watson. "'Carter's not a bad sort. "'We have him to dine now and then. "'All the rest are awful bounders.' "'Presently Watson applied himself to some work he had in hand, "'and Philip set out sorting his letters. "'Then Mr. Goodworthy came in to say that Mr. Carter had arrived. "'He took Philip into a large room next to his own. "'There was a big desk in it and a couple of big arm-chairs.' A turkey carpet adorned the floor, and the walls were decorated with sporting prints. Mr. Carter was sitting at the desk and got up to shake hands with Philip. End of Segment 3 Chapter 36, Segment 4 He was dressed in a long frock coat, he looked like a military man. His mustache was waxed. His gray hair was short and neat. He held himself upright. He talked in a breezy way. He lived in Ennsfield. He was very keen on games and the good of the country. He was an officer in the Herefordshire Yeomanry and chairman of the Conservative Association. When he was told that a local magnate had said no one would take him for a city man, he felt that he had not lived in vain. He talked to Philip in a pleasant, off-hand fashion. Mr. Goodworthy would look after him. Watson was a nice fellow, perfect gentleman, good sportsman. Did Philip hunt? Pity, the sport for gentlemen. Didn't have much chance of hunting now, had to leave that to his son. His son was at Cambridge. He sent him to rugby. Fine school rugby, nice class of boys there. In a couple of years his son would be articled. That would be nice for Philip. He'd like his son thorough sportsman. He hoped Philip would get on well and like the work. He mustn't miss his lectures. They were getting up the tone of the profession, and they wanted gentlemen in it. Well, well, Mr. Goodworthy was there. If you wanted to know anything, Mr. Goodworthy would tell him. What was his handwriting like? Ah, well, Mr. Goodworthy would see about that. Philip was overwhelmed by so much gentlemanliness. In East Anglia, they knew who were gentlemen, and who weren't but the gentleman didn't talk about it. End of segment four.